Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and also Happy Advent. Uh, I'll be delivering the message today, uh, and I'll be talking about hope for renewal. Uh, as you heard and read in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we saw the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, two really blameless and holy people who God had visited to restore and, and, and renew. And God was able to restore their hope through his promise of, of giving them a child. And I think that's amazing, right? That's, that's an amazing story. And it's a, it's a, it's a miraculous story. Um, and it's in, this, and it's in this time that we definitely need to hear something like this. Um, but I have to say that as much as I want to preach that, you know, if you live just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, if you're just like them, you can, you can have what they had, that you can have a visitation from the Lord. Um, and as much as I want to say that, I think, I think that's not necessarily the message of, of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I think, is trying to communicate to us and to show us that to receive uh, a restoration of hope lost in a, in a hopeless time uh, you have to be just as good, if not better, than Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, it says here they were both of priestly descent. Um, uh, they they were righteous. Uh, they were and blameless uh, for in observing all the Lord's commands and decrees. And so, we're not supposed to read that and think, "Yeah, like if I do that." God will hear me. What we're supposed to think is, man, I can't do that. That's not me. Um, I can't live like that. And that's why Advent, especially the beginning of it, is the beginning of hope. Because no longer do we have to worry about such things, right? And you and I know, if you're, if you're a Christian, you know that, that Jesus is the main protagonist of this story. And he resolves this by taking the blessing of God and giving it to all. And he does it mainly through the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, I can't come here and just say, yeah, th this is exactly what, what the message is about. So then what is the message about? Um, in this hopeless state that Zechariah and Elizabeth were in, and this kind of hopeless state that we're in. I mean, I, just to give you an example, like I, I, go to, I, I go to the supermarket to have fun now, right? I, I look at the fruit and that dazzles me and I feel like, this is amazing. Wow, look at all these packages, look at all these colors, look at all these lights. Uh, and then I, I look at myself and I think I'm like, this is pretty, this is pretty dumb, right? Um, if that's how I'm having fun. And I do believe that, that it's in this time that the church, um, where we have to rise up. The problem is, in, in what I've seen, is that the church, capital C, um, we need power. We need power that, the power that we have 
today is insufficient. It was sufficient for January of this year or February of this year. But starting March, insufficient. And I, and I bring this up because the gift of John the Baptist to Elizabeth and Zechariah and the gift of Jesus to Mary is a gift that is infused, if I could use that word, or filled with God's own spirit. And Luke is slowly introducing us to something here that we must not forget or overlook. And it's that all miracles and all hope and all power and all ability to bring life when there's no life, to bring hope when there's no hope, to bring help when there's no help, comes from the very presence of God in his Holy Spirit. The problem is the Holy Spirit, he... Prior to Jesus, his anointings were very rare. So he would only anoint uh, very, very few people. You know, you can count them on your hands, right? Like David, Samson, I don't know who else, like just a few people that he would fill and empower and they would do mighty deeds. And that's it. And the problem that Luke is introducing to us is what do you do when so many people are suffering? What do you do when there's so much hopelessness, when people feel desolate? And the only people who can receive this marvelous presence of God are those who have followed the law completely. What do you do? And, and Luke and the Bible tells us that God had a plan. And his plan was to send his own son. And the connection between Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, that's the connection that I want to talk about today and why that's important for us. So I hope you're convinced already that we need God's Spirit to do things, to live, to, to handle and overcome our sense of hopelessness in times when we're struggling in our marriage, struggling as a parent, struggling in our jobs. How can we overcome these things when the things that you had hope in are all falling apart around you? I know I've been there. I first want to clear up some, some uh, misconceptions we might have of who the Holy Spirit is. The first is uh, the Holy Spirit's not just uh, a dove, right? He is, and I, and I use this word, I try to, I'm trying to use this word with reverence, dangerous. The Holy Spirit's dangerous. He was there at the beginning of creation. He was there uh, with the rare anointings of Samson and David, empowering them. He was there in Exodus 12, right? When God walked through the camp of Israel, of, of not Israel, but all of Egypt, and struck down the firstborn, right? Because, they, because Egypt, as a government, wouldn't free the Israelites, and this was the last straw. And he said this, which is very interesting. He says to Moses, take the blood of a lamb, of sacrificed lamb, spotless lamb, put it on your doorposts. And if, and if, 
And if I see the blood on the doorpost, I will pass over. And hence, Passover, that's where we get Passover from. God himself passed over the homes that had the blood of the Lamb. The very presence of God is dangerous. When you read about the baptism of Jesus himself in the Gospel of Mark, right? The Gospel of Mark says that the heavens tore open. And and the heavens tore open violently. And, And what you're supposed to think is the Holy Spirit, right? God, God is descending on earth. Everybody is dead, right? Dead meat. And then, and then suddenly there's a switch, right? There's this, this, this pivot in the story where suddenly there's a dove falling. And the reason why is the Holy Spirit is meeting Christ. And when the Holy Spirit meets Christ, they're in relationship, right? So when he doesn't, he, the, the heavens are being torn open, but when he comes, he comes gently as a dove. I learned a little bit about this, that you don't mix holy and unholy. Uh, When I got married, and I I was about to jump into bed with my wife, um, and I didn't shower, and she straight up sidekicked me off the bed. (laughs) Um, And her thing was, you never never get in here without without having taken a shower. And I learned my lesson, right? So I'm a good husband now. Um, and, the, and the, the point here, right, the point I'm trying to make is you don't mix holy and unholy. And that's why, that's why we need Jesus. That's the whole thesis of the Gospels, is that we are an unholy people in front of a very holy God. And we can't stand before him unless, unless there's something, unless there's a sacrifice, unless his blood is on you. That sounds kind of macabre, but I, what, it, what, what Christians mean when we say that is we mean that the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his good life becomes ours because of what he's, what he's done for us. And hence, and hence, Christ makes that way for us to have the Holy Spirit and to have the power and the, the presence of God in our lives. And that's also why when, when in John chapter four, 14, verse 6, it is, Jesus says, no one can come to the Father but through the Son. Yeah, absolutely. You can't mingle with the Holy Spirit. You can't be with the Holy Spirit unless Christ is upon you, unless you, you believe in him. And so I want to make this connection now. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tie this together. Where am I getting at? The book of Luke and the book of Acts, written by one person, Luke, considered at, at times and by some, to have been one book. And so if that's so, then these themes are kind of connected, right? And the interesting thing is, I want you to keep these artifacts in your mind. Think about Luke, and in Luke, they casted lots, right? So that Zechariah could go into the temple. There's a temple. There's an altar. There's incense for burning, right? There's these artifacts, right? There's also a multitude of people outside of the temple praying, And at the very end, we didn't read this, but at the very end of the story, Zechariah has a faith problem. And because of his faith problem, because he couldn't believe the promise of God, the the, the angel Gabriel shuts his mouth, and he's not able to speak through the whole pregnancy of his wife. And until the end, then he could speak. But 
but he's like muted, right? So hold that in your head for a second. Hold those artifacts in your head. Now go to Acts 2. Acts 2, you're not going to believe this, right? Acts 2, um, actually 126, then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So there's casting lots, right? Just like in, in Luke chapter 1. Uh, Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, the upper room. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I don't know if, if it's just me, but I see, I see the same artifacts. You see the temple in, one, in Luke 1, but in Acts 2, you see the upper room. You see the casting of lots. It's the same thing. The only thing you don't see, actually, that's, that's different is you don't see an altar, and I'll tell you why. And instead of people being outside praying, everybody was inside of the, inside of the upper room praying, and they were praying, right? But what you do, this connection between the altar, right? Like, in Luke 1, there was the altar for the lighting of the incense. But in Acts 2, the altar becomes the people of God. And the tongues of fire is the very presence of God. We're the incense in Acts 2. We're the altars for the fire. But I love this part where the Holy, it says the Holy Spirit, they heard a, like a rushing wind, a violent wind. And it's just like the baptism of Jesus. You're reading it and you're like, oh man, they're dead. You know, they're going to get swept away. And then all of a sudden it stops and the tongues of fire rest on their heads gently. And you might say like a dove, as gentle as a dove. Why is that? And that would have been impossible pre-Luke pre-gospel. It's because these men and women have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is muted. He can't talk because of his unbelief. But in Acts chapter 2, the people of God, speaking in languages that they don't even know, proclaiming the mighty deeds of God, they can speak In Luke chapter 1, only Zechariah and Elizabeth were able to receive that blessing. And everybody who was outside praying, outside of the temple, didn't even know about it. No idea. Luke chapter 2 says that there were, there were people all around the town, God-fearing people, who heard the words that these, these, pe- these, these mighty deeds. And it said in that day, 3,000 were added to the church. It wasn't just for them. See, like, see what God has done? See what God has done in Jesus? He's taken something that was only meant for the righteous and the holy and the very, very, very few, the lottery winners, and he's given it to all. If that's not hope, I don't know what is. Yeah, Christ came to save sinners. We all know that. But there's more. Christ came to save us sinners 
so that his shed blood would atone for our sins so that you and I could enjoy the presence of God and experience intimacy with him. And that only happens, my friends, through the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. His presence has to be with us for us to experience him. Intimacy is his final reward. Intimacy was his final goal. And it's the fire of God that won't consume us. Isn't that what Moses' story about? Moses, when he, when he sees the burning bush, God tells him to take off his shoes, and a lot of people are like, oh, it's because the ground is holy and Moses is dirty. No, it's because God wanted intimacy with Moses. He says, yeah, you're wearing your sandals. Take off your sandals. Connection. Why was the, 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 the bush burning and not consumed? Because God was saying, that's symbolic of Israel. I'm going to make it so that even though you hang out with the fire, you're not going to be burned by the fire. In, in fact, I'm going to preserve you with the fire. I'm going to light your way with the fire. The Holy Spirit is our only hope for renewal. He's our only hope for change. He's our only hope to have power in this world as a church and as a people. And God gave his very presence to us so that we could be that change. Christ is our way to the Spirit. You know, I'm going to close with this. This is my last thing. About 14 years ago, when I and I always talk about China, you guys, those, those of you who have heard some of my message, you're going to laugh, like, he's bringing up China again, what the heck? And I was um, helping out as a missionary in China. It was the first time I experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I, can, and I promise you, that moment was the turning point of my life. It was that day that changed. Ever since before then, I was, I was always just kind of whatever, I was always struggling. I was always, you know, doubting. That day, my fact, sorry, my faith turned into fact. And it was that day that was a turning point because it was then that, most importantly, a lot of things changed. How I read the Bible changed, how I thought and how I prayed changed. A lot of things changed. But the main thing that, I, that changed for me was I, I felt God's, my Father's arms around me in a way that was, that made all the theory real, that made all the sermons real, that made all the songs real. And I remember that day, all I could say to God was, you're real, you're real. What do we take away from here? There are three common factors between Luke 1 and Acts 2. I mean, there were a lot, but the three common factors that I want to highlight are um, there, was, there were people praying together. Uh, Matthew 18, 20 says, if two or, two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. I think that's important to be with worshiping people, to pray together, even if it's just your spouse or your family. You know, your ministry starts at home. And I think that's, that's one thing we could take away. I started um, a chopping wood a few years ago, and now I have dried wood, and I, and I like to burn it in my pit. And uh, you'll notice that if you start burning wood, you can't just burn one log. 
you need multiple logs. And the more logs you have in there, the more enveloping the fire, right? It's not just hot. It's not just contained. It grows. And I think people are like that. The second thing is, um, well, there was prayer. First was actually being with other believers in the name of Jesus. The second is actually prayer. And the, and the third is um, all your worldly hopes. In, in, in Luke 1 and Acts 2, all the worldly hopes were, were gone. And I think that uh, you can check off the third one because <laughs> that's, that's kind of how, how, uh, how things are these days. I'm just kidding. No, there's still hope, but um, it sure feels like things could be a lot better. So I just want to encourage you, you know, as, as a brother in Christ, if there's one thing that I could pray for you for and, and long, long to give you and impart to you is this, is this longing and desire for intimacy with God, to know the Holy Spirit, to make him your friend, to realize your need for him, and to pursue him in your life.